All right, when I initially asked Mike Hurley to join me for the uh, first podcast that he's been a part of since October, we were originally going to talk about Team USA Olympic hockey uh, over this coming weekend, the first round, the NHL break, things around the league. And then Derek Jeter had to go and retire or, or announce his retirement after the 2014 season. So that sort of uh, spiraled things out of control. And now here we are with the Yankees looking at the last link to the 90s dynasty leaving at the end of the season. And uh, joining me here today to talk about that is CBS Boston's Mike Hurley, who I'm sure isn't exactly as depressed as I am about the news. I'm actually happy that you're having me on at a time when you're sad, because usually you call me after a devastating Boston sports loss. So the fact that you're a hero and you're like, you know, your sports hero and someone you wish was your dad is going to leave the sport, I'm actually happy to be here when you're sad. So thank you. <laughs> no problem. I mean, I guess the timing couldn't have worked out better, but... Um... It's just weird, I think, because we've talked about this in the past, and I think for someone as a Boston sports fan like yourself, the only person that you can really relate to in this instance would be Tom Brady, and maybe not even more so because being the same age as I am, Brady didn't really become a thing in Boston until high school, whereas Derek Jeter's been the shortstop of the Yankees since fourth grade. So um, it's something that I I went through with with Posada, I guess to a lesser extent, and then with Pettit, even though you know he came and went over the years, and uh, Mariano certainly is in the class with Jeter. But for Jeter, a guy you see every day, every day of your your summer, six months a year, uh, you know, since you're nine years old, it's going to be weird. And uh, I just think that really, there's not many other fan bases that can compare with it. Yeah, and it's not. Uh, we don't. I mean, Brady has been around for a while, but I think what's sad, what's been saddest for me, is that the sports fan in general. It's seeing all of our links to the 90s fade away. And I, I'm sure you're like me where you don't really want to consider yourself old, but the fact is we are getting old. And everyone's getting old. And uh, <laughs> the only the last link we had to the 90s was Paul Pierce here. And uh, he's obviously playing in Brooklyn now. And seeing him play in that jersey is just so uncomfortable. And when he came back here, I, I think I'm not alone in that. I'm sort of a cynical, jaded, you know, bum. I don't really feel anything anymore, but... That was an emotional night to see Paul Pierce come back here just because it really does mean something. It's just sports, and it's not life or death, but to see a player like that that means so much to the area uh, you know, return, it kind of reminds you of how important they can be. And I think on a scale of one to Jeter, Paul Pierce doesn't really even come close to that. So I can't really imagine that in a city like New York, uh, how that's going to be when Jeter is no longer there and when Jeter is saying goodbye. It's going to be... Even more than Mariano, because like you said, it's every day, and it's the face of the franchise. It's going to be, it's just going to be crazy. And I think everyone that understands sports can appreciate it. And I think the craziest thing is that when you, I mean, for a case like Jeter, with where we are now in you know our mid to late twenties, going back to when he started, when you're in fourth grade, it's you know sort of at the beginning of the time when you start to really grasp the concept of baseball. You know, you're just you know the rules are becoming more clear to you. You're going to a game and you're not you know passing out or asking to leave in the fifth inning or you know asking for drinks you fully understand the rules and to have him at that point in your life you know penciled in as the everyday shortstop to the point now where you know you understand the game as well as you ever will um i think that's maybe the weirdest thing is how long you know he's been a part of it and it's not like he we were this age when he got into the league and now we're in our late 40s when he's leaving the league that seems more realistic and that's what the case will be for the next homegrown guy but uh i just think the period that he 
you know, span with the Yankees for people of our generation, of our age, I think it has the biggest impact because that's really when, uh, you know, you're growing up when you start to learn the sport and to the point where you pick a team, you pick your favorite players, and you sort of grow up with them, and then they leave, and it's the first time you really have to deal with that. And I think the best way to sort of put that in perspective is just look at his contemporaries back when he was really emerging and think of, like, maybe 99. And you could have had an argument in 99 who was better, him or him or, him or Nomar or A-Rod, and just look at what has become of the other two in that group. Uh, but Nomar retired, what, five years ago, four years ago? And he's been in the media for three years, and Jeter's still going. A-Rod has turned caricature of himself. He's almost like clown A-Rod and has sort of removed himself from any serious discussions about sports for, uh, for now, from now until eternity. And, and Jeter's still playing. Obviously, he didn't play wasn't his best maybe defensively, but uh, he's still a special player when the people that were compared to him 14, 13 years ago have long been out of the game. And you look at that across the board. Back then, I mean, who else was around? Omar Vizquel, and I don't even, it's hard to remember the people that were compared to him, and he's still just been that every day playing 153 games a year. And it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing to think that he won't be doing that next year. You brought up uh, a link to the 90s and a link to, you know, our generation of people, our same age people growing up, and it is one of, like, I guess the lasting people. I mean, when you think back to, when you look at, in football case for Brady and Manning and how old they are, I mean, by the time Manning was in the league, it was 1998, and Jeter's already in his third season in the league just to show how old he is compared to when you think about how old Peyton Manning is. Uh, and as these guys from that decade you know, start to fade away, there's very few left, if you know any at all, after uh, Jeter leaves and once Manning leaves and Brady, even though you know he's a 2000, 2001 guy. Uh, it just seems like your lookout on sports will change because of the people that you grew up with are leaving the sport, and now the majority of the people in the sport are going to be the same age as you or younger. Um, and, you know, we always kid around that you just picture Derek Jeter, you just think he's, you know, 24 years old all the time, and you forget that he's going to be 40 years old. Um, even even in other things, like in, in music, for instance, you know, Eddie Vedder to you is a 35-year-old rock star who's, you know, stage 25, diving. 25. 25. Eddie Vedder is 25 years old. Exactly, and he's going to be going on 50. So I think, you know, it's just really <laughs> when you grow up with these guys, you just expect them to be there uh, for baseball, every in the case of baseball, every summer. And once they're not... It just it's just a whole different world. Well, help me out because I'm looking from the Boston perspective. The longest tenured pa- longest tenured Patriots Brady, and that's 2000, and that's pretty long. But well, we lost Kevin Falk a few years ago, and he was a 90s guy. Uh, the longest tenured Bruin is Bergeron, which would be the 0304 season. The longest tenured Celtic is, I think, Rondo, which is 2006, which is five minutes ago. <laughs> and uh, what what am I missing here? I'm missing the longest tenured Red Sox. Uh, I guess. Ortiz? Oh, yeah, and all those guys in the 06, 07 area. I don't think there's anyone from before that. So uh, in terms of New York sports, I can't think of the longest tenure. Like, off the top of my head, from an outside perspective, the longest tenure ranger, I don't know, I guess Lundquist. But I don't know if there's someone there that's been there forever. And then Yankee-wise, it's it's just all sort of changing on us. And from the, from the, even from the 07 Super Bowl Giants team, I feel like the whole team turned over aside from Eli and a handful of others. So... It's it's a it's a constantly changing world that sort of turns over every five years, and it makes the people like Jeter, who stick around for so long, so sort of bizarrely rare. Where it's it just doesn't happen anymore. So help me help me up with the New York New York teams. Who am I missing? 
I mean, I guess, yeah, I think it would be Lundqvist. It has to be. He's going back to uh, the post-lockout season of 5-0-6. With the Giants, I believe it's, yeah, I'd have to say it's Eli, the 2004 draft, uh, uh, who were missing the Knicks. I mean, you know, they're changing every day. Who cares about that? (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, with that, it's, it's sort of weird because I just saw something recently a few weeks ago about how after, if you don't count Jeter, and A-Rod, the longest tenured Yankee um, after those two is Gardner, who came up uh, for a few games in 2008. And after him, I think, is David Robertson, who did the same, or who came up in 08 the day after he did. So when you think about yeah. the turnover that's going on in the last few years with the Yankees, you know, you get so used to seeing the same one through nine guys. Maybe you get a big name free agent every year to fill a spot, but for the most part, you're getting the same lineup. And now you're looking at a team where the future of this team is, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury, is Brian McCann. Uh, Carlos Beltran will be here two more years after Jeter leaves. A-Rod still can come back, uh, depending on what happens in his situation. So um, going forward here, it's going to be a completely different franchise. I think it might, you know, we had our great idea for what to do with these retired athletes (laughs) once they're done. And I think, you know, the old men's league is, is the way to do it. And I think it's, would you rather see all your favorite players come to town in the retired men's league or would you rather watch the Yankees with, you know, a bunch of people that you're not even familiar with? <laughs> I feel like I feel like it needs to happen because the teams that end up end up being on the field are sort of this bizarre mix of people. I mean look at the Red Sox last year. They're the best team in baseball out of nowhere. And it's you know, half the team is from all over the place. It's sort of it's it's a different era that uh you're you're sort of a fan of just the jersey because the people that fill it come and go year to year, and it's it's sort of out of control. And I, I personally like the people that you like. So it's retired men's league time, and it's coming to your town, and you can buy tickets for fifty dollars a pop. <laughs> well, you just brought up a thing about the Red Sox, and you know the people they had last year, and at this time last year, had we done a podcast, uh, you know, in February of last year. I think we probably did if I go back and look, and we were probably both laughing at the team that they were building. You know, we're like, Johnny Gomes, look at this guy, like Shane Victorino, like what, what's he going to bring? Mike Napoli got a contract and didn't get one, then got one again. Um, John Lackey was coming back off like a 79 ERA, and they ended up winning the World Series. And I think that, you know, in this era with the wild card, uh, the two-team wild card with five teams making the playoffs, and the fact that, you know, teams can pretty much, if you're hovering around 90 wins, 89 wins, you're going to be in the mix. And that's why, to me, when people say, you know, oh, the Yankees, they have a question mark here, they have a question mark here, you know, if a few things go right, they're going to be right back where they were two years ago. Um, and I think anyone could attest to it, it'd be you, because of what happened with the Red Sox last year. Sure, they needed to hit, you know, a 10-team parlay and have all these question marks be answered, but they did. And, uh, you know, I just think in this era with the with the way the playoff system is now, um, it just seems to me like even though the Yankees are phasing out uh, their older guys, the new guys they bring in, granted there's still, you know, a few holes to fill, but there's no reason why they can't pull off something the Red Sox did last year. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt because the Red Sox were the most embarrassing team in all of sports two years ago, and everyone was sort of looking at it as a three-year plan to rebuild, and it all it took a matter of, spring training, really, and they were just hitting the ground running. So, I mean, the Yankees were far from an embarrassment last year. They had their issues, but as far as turning around, it's it's a bizarre, it, it takes a an odd mix. And honestly, I think them as completely turning around, because as, for all of the good additions they made, like you mentioned with McCann and Ellsbury and Tanaka and things like that, the loss of Cano, to me, is just such a huge one. And the fact that 
that he's in Seattle when Derek Jeter is saying it's his last year has to be just sort of this this black mark because from a from a Yankees perspective, it's almost like there's, there's obviously an endless amount of resources no matter what they say, and the fact that they got out of the A Rod deal for no reason other than the guys that you know. Uh, words that you know I don't really need to say right now. But he's a rod. He's a, he's a weasel, and he's he's a dink. And they got out of that just because of the fact that he's a dink. That's money that 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 really should have been going in Cano because with Cano, I look at the Yankees completely differently, and I would say that's a scary team. But without him, it's, you know they replace him a little bit. But I don't know that they're going to be that much better than last year. So for me, when I look at the Yankees, I just think I don't, I don't know. I'm still waiting for the contract to get voided in Seattle and then to sign him because it's still something that doesn't make sense to me. It's it's weird because today, after the announcement was made, I was listening to WFAN and people are calling in, you know, saying they're how depressed they were, people crying on the phone or whatever. But talking about how uh, you know they're going to miss guys like Jeter, they're going to miss guys like Rivera, of course, but they're also going to miss Robinson Cano. And I sort of do forget, like you say, that he is going to be a Mariner. It just seems sort of fake and you know surreal that he's going to be in Seattle this season and not with the Yankees. And this now obviously would have been the perfect opportunity for him to be the face of you know the next few years with the Yankees now that Jeter's leaving because he would have been the most tenured person left on the team, obviously the best hitter on the team, the best uh, defensive player on the team. But um, you're right. It just didn't make sense that they didn't give him what he wanted or at least come close to it because it seems like he would have stayed. I mean, even if they had gone to 220, maybe he still would have left for the 240 to go to Seattle, but they probably should have matched it because for all the bad contracts they've done, it just seems weird that they're going to you know, start putting their foot down when it comes to a guy that they really need in the lineup. Um, but yeah, it just, I don't know. Maybe they thought it wasn't worth the, the years, the money, um, seeing a 40 year old Cano, you know, but at the same time, you know, they're going to be seeing a late thirties, Jacoby Ellsbury playing center field. So to me, those sort of things cancel each other out. But on the side, uh, Brian Roberts was really good like nine years ago. So <laughs> you know what? Know, I actually, like, he... <laughs> he's one of those guys that he was always a good player and yeah, he hasn't been good since like 2005, but, um, it's one of those question marks they need to hit. So uh, hopefully things work out for him, and maybe he just needed to change the scenery, a team that actually competes uh, annually. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I mean <laughs> you used the Red Sox earlier as an example of some question marks that worked out. But, I mean, Frank Catalanato was always a Red Sox killer, but they didn't go out and find him last year. That's because true. I don't think that would... I wouldn't have been the recipe to success, so I'm not sure if Brian Roberts will be. <laughs> but, you know, maybe. I don't know. What do I know? I know. It's just... It's funny that... To think back, that like I sometimes forget that the Red Sox just won the World Series because of how much fun we had with the 2012 team. I mean, every day it was a better story, and I think maybe for Boston fans it was almost more fun dealing with that team than it was last year's team. Well, it's really bizarre because I was at those games, like I was there when they beat the Tigers to make it to the World Series, and I was I was at Fenway when the Red Sox won the World Series, which is something I didn't think ever would happen. Like, I never really expected that. It wasn't in my plans as a human being. Like I just, it, was, it was never really in the cards. And I, and I was there, and I witnessed it, and I obviously wrote about it, and I was you know, didn't sleep for two weeks, staying up until four in the morning, writing stories and all of that. And recently, maybe it's just because Patriot season was in full swing, and the Bruins started shortly after that, or right in that period, so it kind of just kept going. But I, I was writing a story the other week, and I was like, I wrote the defending champion of the Red Sox, and... And I had it checked because it just seemed like it, it didn't happen. It happened so fast and so unexpected that I had to be like, wait, they did win. I had to go on baseball reference and make sure that they won the World Series, even though I knew it, because it was it was one of the more unexpected things that I just didn't foresee happening 
really for a long time, let alone last year. So uh, it's it's of all the things that I've seen, them winning the World Series last year has to be the most random. I agree. I don't what think that, that any, anyone saw that. I mean, you go back to what was happening in 2012. I mean, a year ago right now, no one thought. I mean, people were picking them to finish last place. Some people picking them to finish last again in the American League, let alone you know win the AL East, uh, make quick work of the Rays, come back in the Tigers, pretty much dominate the Cardinals outside of two crazy game-ending plays. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's as crazy of a championship run as of any team I can remember recently. Yeah, and even back... Oh four, the Red Sox were, you know, one of the better teams of baseball and still uh they had to go seven games against the Yankees to get into the World Series and obviously come back from the trio hole. And then in oh seven, they were the best team wire to wire and they almost got knocked out by Cleveland. They had to come back against Cleveland from a three two series deficit just to just to force well, they had to force the game seven first of all and then win it. And this year's team didn't even need that. They won, they won four games against the Rays, they won six games against Detroit, and they won six games against the Cardinals. They never really were were pushed to the point of, of breaking, and it's just, I, I can't make sense of it. It's sort of, it's, it's just one of the crazier stories I can remember because as good as, the way that all the teams are sort of on an even level now, to have a team not really get even, even flirting with with elimination was was such a bizarre for this team to do it was so bizarre when you just mentioned 2004 and you said they uh had to go seven games with the yankees i was like i never heard someone refer to that series as they had to go seven games with the yankees I, it's always like they came back down 3-0 and i was like wow he's not going to say it and then you said it all right sorry i'm not sorry but <laughs> i mean the, you look at the first two games were were coin flip type games just like four and five were so it, it was a closer series than the 3-0 went and maybe that makes you feel better uh <laughs> for for the fact that it was a 3-0 law blown series lead for the yankees but i think uh it, it was it was an indication of just how close those teams were and that was the point was either of those teams could have won and either yeah. of those teams could have you know kept on going but the, this year it was for some reason no one felt like challenging the red sox yeah so I mean, we've if, you talked wanna, about, if you want to talk about 2014 predictions, I think I'm out. I think I'm tapped out on any such thing. So I don't know. Maybe the maybe the Orioles will win this year. I just I, I'm out. I think the craziest thing that I remember from '04 is that people obviously once things happen and they do come back and then they win the World Series and break the curse or whatever, people look back and say, you know, this was a team of destiny, and they turn to that. Uh, A-Rod Veritek fight in that uh, you know walk-off home run in that game in July and all that but I mean that Red Sox team was stacked and they were they were better like granted they didn't win the division but they were a better team all around than the Yankees were I mean their 1-2 was you know Pedro and Schilling the Yankees 1-2 was Mike Messina who you could never trust in any big spot in his life and John Lieber uh, you know El Duque who was could have been 50 years old at the time no one knew Kevin Brown who was 40 uh, Javier Vazquez, who was a train wreck. So, I mean, th- that team was so much better. And I think, uh, aside from realizing it and not wanting to admit it in the regular season, was in the playoffs when they just embarrassed the Angels in the first round. And had the Yankees had to play the Angels in the, AL- in the ALDS, they would have lost. There's no question about it. And the Yankees, granted, they beat the Twins in four games, but they struggled to win in those four games. And, you know, aside from that Vlad Grand Slam to tie that game three, I mean, that series was a complete joke. And I thought going into that that the Yankees were in trouble. I never thought they'd get up the way they did and then blow it. But, I mean, that that Red Sox team was stacked way more than people ever give them credit for. 
can we get into some Johnny Lieber talk? I wasn't <laughs> ready for the John Lieber talk. I just, I knew it was coming as soon as you started talking about the old four Yankees. I knew <laughs> the next words out of your mouth were going to be John Lieber and Kevin Brown because it is true. Like, for, for as good as the Yankees were, the Red Sox were the better team just for that reason. Those five starters in the Red Sox in 04 made every single one of their starts. Their rotation was, was solid. Their bullpen was, uh, I mean, in 03, their bullpen was better, uh, but Grady Little didn't want to use it. So they really should have been where they should have been in 03, but it ended up getting shilling into the rotation in the mix. So, yeah, the, the 04 Red Sox were better, if that's your point. But if you want to get into John Lieber's career splits and stuff like that, we could probably dedicate a whole podcast to it. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a big John Lieber fan. I mean, when John Lieber's, you know, starting game two of the playoffs for you, and uh, just looking at the team, I mean, I'm looking at the 04 Yankees, and uh, let's see here. I mean, they've won 101 games, which is just insane. They that Vasquez... Uh, had a 491 ERA. Lieber had a 433. Messina had a 459. Kevin Brown had a 409. Contreras had a 564. And that's their start. And El Duque, they didn't get to later in the season. He only started 15 games and he had a 330. So he's probably, you know, their best pitcher entering the playoffs before he gets hurt. And the best guy after that's Kevin Brown, who's above four ERA. And, you know, they're going against Schilling and Pedro just. I mean, and you, the worst pitchers on your team, you know, they didn't even want to let Derek Lowe start games, and he probably would have started game one for the Yankees. And he won all three of the clinchers. But know, Johnny Lieber did have the no-no going in game two, no? He did. I mean, Messina had that one going for a while in game one, and then, yeah, Lieber did have it in game two. But the that game one, I remember in game one, the Yankees were up, like, huge, like, and then the Red Sox came, they scored, like, seven runs in the eighth inning, and I was like, this is gonna, this is a nightmare right now. Yeah, I remember Ortiz had a big hit, either a homer or a double, and, and I thought they were going to win that game. But, oh, yeah, Messina had the no-no into, like, the seventh, and it was, like, 6 nothing, and then it turned into 6-4 or something yeah, like that. It was, but, yeah, it was 8 nothing. The Red Sox had a five-run seventh to make it 8-5. to five. Then it was 8-7 to seven after the eighth, and the Yankees scored two more times yeah. in the bottom of the eighth, and then Mariano came in. But, and yeah, they picked Schilling's leg, and it was, the rest was history. I know. It's just uh, it's terrible to think about, but... Uh, you know, it definitely have... wasn't a season of fate. To to go on to what you were saying earlier, you know, it was a it was a team of destiny, stuff like that. One pitch goes one way. You just look at the the ground rule double and right field from Fenway. That goes the other way. I, I contend if I contend Gabe Kapler would have gone down. I think it was Ruben Sierra running the bases, but still, you can make the argument that the run scores and that the whole history has changed. So, uh, to the idea that. A team is a team of destiny. Eh, I don't know. I don't think there's actual. I don't think uh, the baseball gods are, are pushing baseballs over the wall and ground rule double. So it's it's just an, it, it, the point was that that's how close those teams were, uh, and and it's it's rare for a team like last year's to not have be pushed to that point. I was sitting at uh, near the right field pole for that ground rule double. Well, because the seats, you know, they face you. You really need to face home plate, but you're facing uh, like I don't even know. The Commons, Green Monster, and yeah. uh, so I mean that thing's coming right. He was a proof from there. <laughs> After I spent my entire uh, savings for that semester on Game Five because I thought I'd see the Yankees, uh, you know, win the American League in Fenway Park, so that didn't really work out. But that ground rule double, I think I, I will always be able to picture Sierra like chugging it, like he was gonna go, and then he you know rounded third and he got held up because obviously the double, and uh, that was a disaster. Yeah, Tony Clark, I, I believe, hit that. So that yeah, was yeah, yeah. I think Kapler, Kapler had a, had a good arm. And I think I think they would have gunned him down at the plate. I think he wouldn't have scored, but it would, would have been difficult. It's, yeah. it's one of those things. Well, since we still have a couple months, I guess, till we really get in the Yankees-Red Sox, and uh, 
I know that Jeter's last regular season game, hopefully it's not his last game, hopefully they make the playoffs, will be at Fenway, and I saw the tickets are already up to like $5,000 to sit behind home plate. Nuh-uh, really? Yeah, I saw that they're more, the tickets are more right now for that game, they've gone up, than for the uh, the day the Red Sox get their rings, whenever that is. That makes sense, because I feel like there's going to be so many people from New York that are willing to make that trip. It's a Sunday afternoon game at one thirty, so it's the type of it's the type of game you could come up from New York on a Saturday, spend the day in Boston, which is a nice city to spend the day in, get a nice hotel room, go over to the Fenway the next day, and then head home on Sunday. So uh, I think whoever's in charge of the, the the ticket price setting makes sense because if you're if you're handicapping it, I don't know what chance the Yankees have of making the playoffs good, I guess, you know, somewhere in the 60-70% range, but there's there's a pretty good chance that their season does end that day, and if that's Jeter's last game, it, you'd, you'd ideally want it to be in the Bronx, but if it had to be anywhere else, would you not want it to be a Fenway? At least, you know, the fans, I mean, I can say from a Boston perspective, Jeter was as hated as anyone 10-12 years ago. He was like Kobe Bryant, he just disgusted everyone here, and I think in the past maybe five, six, seven years, everyone's sort of grown to really appreciate and respect him a lot oh, in ways that they did it before. So I think if if you're a Yankees fan and you're like you and you probably wear your Jeter shirt to bed tonight, you have to at least, if you had to pick a visiting park for the I think Fenway's a good one because I think, you know, everyone here cheered Rivera last year uh, in a bizarre situation. Uh, they gave him, what did they give him? They gave him something from Fenway. That, uh, they gave him something the from, number from the biggest scoreboard. failure. Yeah, but they also gave him something from when he when he waved to. Uh, oh yeah, it was like a painting to, of him or something. Yeah, it was like his biggest career failure. So that was a weird gift to give him. But I think you know people will appreciate him here, and I think it'll be kind of a special moment where where Red Sox fans can sort of rise rise to their feet and cheer for Jeter. I think that's that's kind of a cool moment. So uh, I know you're hoping they make the playoffs, but. If they don't, or if they do make the playoffs and then get swept by some team in the ALDS and it's sort of an ugly ending, at least his regular season finale will be in a nice place. You brought up an interesting point there before we get into some Team USA stuff quick, is that uh, the way that they've Boston fan has started to respect Jeter, uh, the way they did with Rivera, they gave him the send-off even if they you know took a few shots at him for the 0-4 stuff. But if 0-4 doesn't happen, you know, I don't think that Derek Jeter is going to Fenway, and, you know, getting an ovation when he leaves the game. I don't. I think that what's happened over the last decade has changed uh, not only Red Sox fans but Boston sports fans' mentalities as a whole um, because of the effect that the Red Sox have on the city. And I just think that it's made things so different over the last ten years that it, it sort of gave them a reason to appreciate them. We're like, well, now we have a World Series, so now I guess we can be like, oh, Derek Jeter's a, a good baseball player. But if that doesn't happen, there's no way that people have you know t- changed their minds in the way they view him. I don't know, because you know, I look at, like, Peyton is sort of respected. His greatness is respected here, but I don't think people necessarily like him. I don't think people like to see him succeed. I know it was almost unanimous here, even as obnoxious as, as Seattle was as a team, that that people here wanted to see Peyton lose, and I think of Kobe. Kobe will never be liked here. Kobe, Kobe is is everything opposite of what the Celtics are. Even though the Celtics are maybe the worst team in sports right now, uh, it, even though the Celtics won, Kobe was was no more respected or liked. And I think with Jeter, it's just been different. Just I think it's been sort of that that staying factor, that sort of consistency for so long that. It sort of gets to the point where you can't deny it anymore. You're like, damn it, this guy's good. 
and and he's sort of risen to the point where he's larger than life. I know for me personally, when I sat down on the third baseline and to see Jeter up close, like from from a foot away, just in the uniform, playing catch with the glove in his hand, throwing the ball, it's just sort of like I feel like I'm at the wax museum right now because <laughs> there's no way that that dude right in front of me is real. And I think Jeter raised to that level that that not many people get, where you look at them and you're like, that guy is so famous and so popular that. I can't even recognize him as just another guy right in front of me. And I think that, I think it's just something that takes time in, in seeing someone so much. And like the other guys I mentioned, Peyton comes once a year maybe, and Kobe the same thing. So maybe it's just the fact that he's been around so much. It's almost like you see so much of him, you just can't deny how good he is and how important he is. And you just sort of, you just sort of accept it and you appreciate it at a certain point. And he reached that five years ago. Well, starting on Thursday, uh, Team USA is back, and I know you know we're sort of transitioning here from baseball to hockey, but we still got a couple of months left to, to talk baseball, and we have eight months left to talk Derek Jeter. But uh, Team USA is back, first time in four years. We got some Olympic hockey, um, a decent you know first round slate of games for them. One that you know if, if you get the effort that you got four years ago, they should be able to advance to the second round. If you get the effort that we got eight years ago. Uh, we could see a you know an zero and three trip, and these guys will be back home, uh, you know, getting ready for the NHL break. But you know, are you one of the guys that is against NHL players playing in the Olympics? I, I feel like more and more of these people are coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, we need to get back to amateur players. Uh, we, this NHL break, this three week layoff, is ridiculous, especially at this point in the season. To me, that just seems crazy. I mean, if you're going to do this thing right, you want to have the best players, and when it's only once every four years, it's not that big of an obstacle to get around. Um, I think you got the world juniors for the amateur play and what other people want. So are you a guy that's for the NHL players participating in the, in the Olympics? Personally, I am. But uh, if I were in charge of a team, if I was paying the contracts, I'm not sure that's something I would uh, be so excited about. But from a spectator standpoint, yeah, because I'm not sure I'd be watching otherwise. I'd, I'd probably tune in, but what would I know about the guys filling up the roster? So I'm excited to watch, but... Uh, I don't think it's something that the owners, uh, the GMs, or the executives are going to go for four years from now because they're going to be in South Korea, and uh, the timing is even worse than it is this year. So uh, I think this may be it at least for an eight-year break. So we better appreciate it while we can. <laughs> and with the Olympics, you know, comes the the roster changes and uh, the picking of the roster, which happened uh, about a month and a half ago now. So we've all had time to to get our gripes about uh, who the front office decided to make Team USA. Um, and I think when it came out, people were really up in arms about three to four picks and questionable picks at that. But now that you've had you know six weeks to settle down, I remember seeing you know you tweeting about guys that made the team that shouldn't. Probably Blake Wheeler's in that. Uh, conversation but are you happy with the team usa roster that they put together i mean i'm uh, it's no not necessarily i mean i i've watched blake wheeler a lot he's <laughs> a guy that i don't necessarily want uh playing for the united states uh to put it bluntly i just think when you leave a guy like bobby ryan off because supposedly a guy like brian burke says he's not intense that's just sort of insane. I look at the people making the decisions for the for the team, and you have Ray Shero, who employs Mark Andre Fleury, who might be the worst postseason goalie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, <laughs> but he won a cup, though, so he's a winner. Did he really win a cup, though? Because I'm pretty sure Sidney Crosby won no, a cup. I know. 
but people will, you know, people will cite that he's better than Henrik Lundqvist because he has his name on the Stanley Cup. Of course, he's better than Henrik Lundqvist. Obviously, that's a great point that a lot of people probably make. But uh, it's 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 not the best team, and I think the U.S. enters as maybe the the fourth best team on paper. So they they they, they have a chance, but really, uh, our our hopes might be inflated by what happened four years ago because I think the only reason they were even involved last time was because Ryan Miller played the best two weeks of his life, really. So uh, if John Quick has that in him, God bless him. I'm try to Connecticut there for you, but I'm not sure uh, that's something you can bank on. So hopefully hopefully they compete. Hopefully they can uh, – if they could beat Russia in Russia, that would be that would be pretty fun to watch. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing that, but I'm not sure I have the highest of high hopes for them. Well, I know you're a fan of Canadian goalies and the uh, the ever-changing landscape of the way things work in Canada with their goalies, and now we see that they're going to flip-flop goalies uh, starting between games one and two, not really go with a hot hand, and no matter what happens in game one, they're they're going to make changes. So do you find that a little strange that they're not willing to stay with one guy in the sense that it looks like U.S., if Quick plays while well, he wins, he's going to play game two. It's, I don't think Miller's going to get a shot, but it just seems like that's the way you'd want to enter a tournament like this. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think Canada's going to win the gold because I think their goal standing is too shaky. Because to be honest with you, Luongo played poorly four years ago. He was better than Brodeur, but I mean, most people would have been better than Brodeur. Luongo was shaky as shaking can get. Any puck that went to his glove side would bounce right out. He couldn't hold on to anything. He was a rebound machine, and he gave up. He gave up what could have been a backbreaking goal in the last fifteen seconds of the gold medal game. That would have been his defining legacy, but because Sidney Crosby bailed him out, he, he he got the gold medal around his neck, where otherwise he'd be, he'd be the GOAT. So, uh, he... I, I don't have faith there. And Carey Price, the longest Canadian's playoff run that has happened during Carey Price's career came when Halak was the goaltender, when the Canadians made it to the Eastern Conference Finals three years ago. So, Price hasn't shown me any reason to believe he's He's got that next level in him. I mean, maybe he does. You never know when people do. No one would have known Ryan Miller had it four years ago. But uh, if I look at them, I don't think either one of those guys is going to play out of his mind. So uh, I think that's going to be Canada's Achilles heel, and I think it's it's going to cost them. All right, Mike. I uh, I appreciate you taking the time to you know help me out through this tough time with Derek Jeter retiring, and I'm sure we'll talk plenty of times between now and the start of the baseball season and. Uh, and hopefully at this time next year, uh, you know, Jeter's coming back and pulling a uh, Andy Pettit or a Brett Favre or uh, any other one of those millions of athletes that have retired and then unretired. So hopefully this isn't really the end and we're not uh, starting the end of the season in 2014 season for him. And hopefully it's just the beginning of a fake retirement. Hopefully Jeter comes back in 2015 and gets $30 million from the Astros. <laughs> hopefully he does that. And then hopefully in 2016 he plays for some other random team and then he can do the full Brett Favre and do do live hits from his hunting facility out in Mississippi. Be, I, I would like that very much. Well, then I guess I'll just have to hold out hope that Tom Brady, uh, you know, in three years is playing for the Chiefs and hel- hel- helping them to a 9-7 and seven record with Andy Reid. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks don't again. All right, see ya.